Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. This is Jonathan Cantor, Editor of JAD International. JAD International, a new open access companion journal in the JAD family, publishes globally oriented articles that aim to advance the understanding and practice of dermatology. To further highlight the important clinical and translational research studies featured in the journal, Dialogues in Dermatology will present a new series of podcasts with the authors of some of these articles. This series will aim to provide yet another forum for the international exchange of ideas that makes dermatology such a vibrant specialty. Thanks for listening. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for this episode of JAD International Podcast. My name is Vinod Nambudiri, and I'm so pleased today to be joined by Dr. Dede Morel, who is going to be discussing her recent publication entitled A Comparison Study of Outcome Measures for Epidermolysis Bullosa, EB Disease Activity and Scarring Index, and the Instrument for Scoring Clinical Outcomes of Research for Epidermolysis Bullosa. Dr. Morel, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for this international edition of the podcast. And if you would so kindly provide just a brief title of where you're currently located in your current position. Thank you, Vinod. I'm the chair of dermatology at St. George Hospital, which is a teaching hospital of the University of New South Wales Faculty of Medicine in Sydney, Australia. Wonderful. And thank you again so much for joining us from Australia for this Dialogues edition. As we lay the foundation for this article and the fascinating work that you're doing, I know many of our listeners will be familiar with your work in blistering diseases. To provide us an overview, maybe just start out a little bit telling us what got you interested in EB and blistering diseases in the first place. Thank you for asking me that question, Vinod. I did my dermatology training in North Carolina and I did a year of clinical research at Duke. And then I was a dermatology resident at UNC Chapel Hill. And at that time, the chair of the program was Al Brigerman who passed away last year, sadly, and they had the National EV Registry centered there while I was a resident. So although that was a rare disease, it wasn't a rare disease at Chapel Hill. And so as a resident, we would take care of those patients. We were aware of the important research that was going on in our department and the basic biology of blistering diseases by Al Brigerman and Joe David Fine, which helped to improve the understanding of EB. And I spent a year in the lab while I was a resident there, which was an option for the training program. So I learned a lot about type 7 collagen during that year. And that motivated me to later work at the Rockefeller University, where there was another center for EB. That's how it happened. Wonderful. And from that very very basic science and type 7 collagen investigations. We come now full circle to this very clinically oriented paper that that you published very nicely. And I'd love to get your insights on how this project came about or how it envisioned for background if listeners have not yet read through it. This is a study comparing two scoring systems for EB. So walk us through a little bit how you got the idea for this work or what the background was. I've always been interested in clinical research and bringing only basic research that can apply to patients. 
And as you would probably be aware, when you want to run a clinical trial to get a new treatment approved, you need to have a validated way of measuring the severity of the patient's disease to convince the authorities, in your case, the FDA, that the treatment works. And the problem in EB was that there was no such validated score. So I was busy seeing EB patients and trying different dressings and trying different other treatments that were used for other diseases. And sometimes you would see a treatment that seemed to make a bit a difference, but you had no real way of proving it. And I uh, had been working and leading a group of investigators in autoimmune blistering diseases with the same issue that Pemphigus, for example, didn't have a score. And together with Vicky Worth at Penn, she and I gathered people together from around the world and we developed a score for Pemphigus, which was called, the, it's called the PDI, Pemphigus Disease Area Index. And now it's in use in sponsored trials and it's a primary outcome measure and it's one of the measures used. And that was back in 2009, published in JID. And so from that learning exercise, I applied the same exercise and philosophy to EB to come up with a similar type of score to measure disease activity and scarring in EB, which is called the EB-DARSI, EB Disease Area Severity Index. Wonderful. It's fascinating to hear how this research has evolved. And then walk us through a little bit of the specifics, the technicalities of this work. I thought it was really interesting. It sounded like there was a heavy patient-centric component of this particular paper and a lot of coordination amongst many patients with rare disease, many dermatologists dedicated to this effort. So walk us through a little bit of, of how you set this up. Okay. This has become a paradigm for how to conduct validation studies in dermatology. I didn't invent this. I basically was working on this with Vicki Worth, who's excellent in clinical outcome research. And we had done a similar study to validate the PDI at the University of Pennsylvania. So it's a similar methodology. And any dermatologist who wishes to test out a score in theory could do this themselves. So what you do is you have to have the right group of patients. In this case, with EB, because I run a center for EB, I could gather together on a Saturday, a day when we're not using the space and where a day when doctors would be available to bring patients in, and typically you need at least 15 patients with a disease that's rare. If you have a common disease, of course, you would do it in many more patients. And you try to bring all the patients in on the same day so that they can be scored by the same doctors that you bring in. Now, with Pemphigus, we brought in 15 patients to Penn with 10 experts flown in from around the U.S., with EB in Australia, we had 15 patients, but we only brought in six dermatologists. There were three from Sydney and three from Melbourne, I believe. And the way is that it's quite a burden for patients with EB to have their dressings off and have their skin exposed for too many doctors to score them individually when each doctor is taking 20 to 30 minutes per patient. So that's the limitation. If it's eczema, you could have, you know, we did a similar score with eczema. It didn't matter so much how long the skin was exposed. And so what you do is, depending on your clinic space and the number of doctors that you have, in our place, we had five rooms available. So we had five patients, one in each room. 
and six doctors and medical students who were running the show and moving us from room to room. So it was all prepared ahead of time. The patients would arrive and fill out their quality of life tools in the waiting room. That's important because you don't want people filling those in before they've taken dressings down and become anxious and painful. They need to fill those out when they're feeling calm. And then when they're ready and the study starts, the bell goes off and the timers go off and the doctors are put into rooms with colored scoring sheets saying, okay, Dr. X, you're scoring patient one with this score, the EB Darcy, and with the score you're comparing it to, in this case, the I-score EB, which I'll explain to you if you like. And then you time how long the doctors had to time, how long it was taking them to fill out each scoring sheet. And then when they finish, they come out of the room and hand those scoring sheets to the medical student outside because you don't want them cheating and looking back at their scores because later on in the day, they're randomized to go back and rescore one of these patients per session so that you can calculate an intra-rater reliability score later on. And so we did this scoring in three sessions. Each session was about an hour and a half, I think. I can't remember exactly how long they were, but a session, then a break, then a session while the changes, the patients changed, new patients came in the rooms, a third session. I think we may have had a lunch break at the, in the middle. And in the beginning, you usually have, which we did have, was a review by Claire Rogers, who was the lead of the study, who is a medical student doing an honours year with me. And viewers may know her grandmother was Maureen Rogers, still alive, a retired eminent paediatric dermatologist from Sydney. And she came and heard Claire's presentation, which she got a distinction for this project and is the first author of this paper in JAD International. So that was another good aspect of this project. Wonderful. Yes. Walk us through, as you mentioned, these two scoring tools and give the audience a little bit of flavor around each one. Okay. So the FDA... Traditionally, just by way of background, you know how fond the FDA is of scores that are very easy, just IgA scores, zero to four, mild to severe, but EB is such a broad spectrum. It's very difficult to compare one EB patient with another just to score zero to four because as some patients have really bad mucosal disease, other people have horrendous scarring and pseudosyndactyly. So we had developed our score by using all our photographs of our EB patients and adapting the P-dye for pemphigus with bringing in a lot more scarring elements, which are important in EB, but not so important in pemphigus. And so that we wouldn't have what they call floor effects, where, for example, another score that we compared it to, the I-score EB, which was developed in Canada and the US by certain investigators, focuses mainly on the activity of the disease, the chronic wounds, but doesn't really include so much of the scarring elements, which are very important to patients. You know, if a patient can't pick up something because their hands and fingers are all fused together, to them that's an important part of their disease. And so we thought it hadn't been compared before and the companies are trying to decide and the FDA is trying to decide, well, which score is the more reliable is going to give us the best discrimination ability between these two diseases and the subtypes of the patients. So this was the objective of the study, was to compare these two scores. And I don't want to go into too much nitty-bitty details of the two scores because it's, it can be read in the paper if anyone's really interested. 
Great. Well, I think that framing though helps us understand the approach that you took and and why this is so important. What would be the key takeaways from your experience with this research that you left with about these two scoring tools? Okay. Well, one good thing was that the total scores of the two were correlated with each other, especially as regards the skin part of it, was slightly higher for the EB-DARSI for inter-rater reliability. So if it was you scoring versus me scoring, our score gave a higher correlation between two different doctors, whilst if it was you always the same doctor, they both gave good outcomes. Where our score was better was in terms of if you look at a scatter plot of the 15 patients and then on the x-axis you have the patients going from mild to severe and on the y-axis you have either the EBDASI score or the I-score EB, there wasn't much of a gradient as you went from the milder patients through the moderate patients. Then all of a sudden with the I-score EB you jumped up to the severe patients Whilst with the EBDASI score, you had a gradual increase of the scores, which meant that you could distinguish statistically significantly between a patient who had EB simplex, which is generally milder, and somebody with dominant dystrophic EB. Now, both of those conditions are graded as relatively mild, but the dominant dystrophic EB patients are ones who get permanent scarring, which isn't really scored much in the other score. And hence, you would get a higher score in, a, in the EB-DASI score than you would in the I-score EB. And the I-score EB also has a lot of blood tests and the results in it. So even if it takes four or five minutes to score the patient, you have to spend half an hour digging through the file, looking up blood, bone density results, whether they had a esophageal dilatation in the past six months, whether they had a blood transfusion in the last six months, whereas ours is all focused on what you see in front of you. And, you know, it's more objective as far as how severe this patient is. And so we hope that this score will continue to be used in um, all the new therapies that are coming in the pipeline. It's been used in a study that I'm presenting at the AAD and the EADV late breakers about oleogel, which is a new treatment that's been under a massive phase three trial in EB, for example. And so it sounds esoteric, but these types of studies are important for patients. And the FDA up till now has been talking about looking at EB as just like a chronic diabetic wound, as if you just pick one magic target wound in that disease and you just monitor that. Whereas we all know that these wounds come and go in EB. And in that sense, it's more like pemphigus, where if you pick just one lesion in pemphigus and said the patient was cured because one of their lesions got better, meanwhile, the rest of the disease is bad. It's meaningless that you need to be able to score the whole patient. I think that's a great example of how these scales and scores can really play into a dermatologist's view or approach their patients with blistering disease. You mentioned already that this work and the EBDASI are already being implemented in larger clinical trials and already having an impact. I'm curious, what is your take on the impact of these scales or identifying a a better 
scoring system on the average clinical dermatologist? Is this something that you see translating to day-to-day patient care management, or is this really something that has its home exclusively in the clinical trials range? Well, in our center, we score every patient who comes in with these scores so that we have a better idea of if whatever we're doing, for example, off-label use of colchicine to try to see if that would reduce scarring in dominant dystrophic EV. And because you have different trainees with you, each time you see patients, you do take photos, but it's like once you start using easy scores in your eczema clinic, you have some more objective way of saying whether this patient's clearing up or not. Parsi scores, for example, everyone used to think that they were just a research tool that boffins used. But people have now, especially dermatologists, got in their mind, if you say this psoriasis patient with a Parsi score of 20 versus this one with a Parsi score of 8, we've got used to it. So it could be that in the future, instead of saying all these complicated different types of EB, just say I've got an EB patient score with EB Darcy score of 55. And that gives you an idea of how severe they are rather than just giving it a name. Great. I think that helps us really contextualize this work and think about where the future is headed and the ways in which these scales can be translated from the investigational realm to the very practical clinical realm for those of us taking care of patients on a day-to-day basis, even if we're not in an EB trial or what have you, you know, there is relevance and applicability here. So I think that's a great takeaway for our listeners. As we wind down our conversation, I wanted to ask you, given that you're so steeped in this field, what are some good sources for dermatologists who are looking for more information on EB or they have a a patient that has a newly diagnosed EB. Maybe they don't have dozens of them in their practice. Maybe they have one or two that they manage. Where should they be turning to for good information on the management of, of patients with EB? For management of EB, I would suggest if you have a subscription or your department does to up to date. I'm biased because I'm overseeing those publications, but they're co-authored with world leaders, not just by me. And we have to update them every six months. So if I'm looking at a patient I don't know much about, that's what I go to first, because you know that the people are having it all scrutinized by layers and layers of people, and that it has to be updated regularly. And it gives a nice, concise uh, look at this whole chapter on the pathogenesis of EB and which genes there are involved. There's a chapter on diagnostic techniques. There's a chapter on management. So I personally think that that is the best source for clinicians. Great. And then how about for our patients with EB? Do you, do you particularly engage them with any specific resources? Yes. For patients, I tell them to go to the Deborah website. And Deborah, there's a Deborah in the US. There's a Deborah International, which has got better and better at providing resources. And because Deborah in different countries have got different levels of support. And so Deborah International is now becoming the place. And you probably noticed that there have been a number of consensus papers getting published, bringing together researchers all around the world to publish papers that are open access on what's the best dressings for EB, what's the best uh, skin cancer way of following up and managing dystrophic EB, podiatry in EB. All these guidelines in EB are now maybe 10 of them or more have been published open access, meaning that patients can access those too. 
wonderful. I think those are all extremely valuable resources that both for physicians and for patients that we can connect them to and organizations like Deborah that are doing good work to, to advance the field are always important for us to be in the know about. As a final question, I'd love to hear from you, from where you sit and the work that you do in this field. What do you think is on the horizon for EB? Where do you think the field is going or what's particularly exciting you about EB, either in diagnosis or management or what have you? Wow. There's so many amazing things happening now in EB. There's some treatments which are looking like they could be more non-specific treatments to treat all types of EB, which are type of anti-inflammatory type treatments. One of these is being applied currently mainly to dystrophic EB in Japan by Kotsuto Tamai. And he's got a study going on in real patients of, of something which is switches off inflammation. There's other research which is looking at revertent mosaicism, which are patients that have revertent normal patches of skin and culturing pluripotent stem cells out of those. And then there's, of course, the gene therapy program with the transplanted grafting of the skin that's going on mainly at Stanford and in planning in Paris. There's just a whole slew of things. And there are all these creams which are coming up, which are derived from, for example, the one I'm presenting soon was a triterpene extract from a birch bark tree, which has come over because it's helpful for burns as a type of anti-inflammatory help the skin to grow back, non-specific type of treatment. So I think that having these tools to be able to prove that these treatments are working or not working are going to be very valuable in all these new treatments that are in the pipeline. Well, I want to thank Dr. Dede Morel for her time and for her valuable insights on so many fronts, uh, but in particular for discussing her recent work in JAD International with us today. So thank you, uh, Dr. Morel, for your valuable time and for sharing those thoughts with us. Thank you, Vinod, for choosing this esoteric topic, and I enjoyed talking with you today and meeting you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Dialogues in Dermatology from JAD International. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.